0: What up, ladies and gentlemen? It is Picture Lock on WERALP, Arlington, 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. This week on the show, I finally got Robert Winship back in the saddle to do our semi-annual fallback spring forward episode. I won't waste much time on this intro because we wound up talking for about an hour and a half, so you'll definitely need to subscribe to the podcast for you radio listeners so that you can actually hear the full conversation. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can start catching after show episodes in which I go in depth with guests about their film production from a PR and marketing perspective. Just dropped the latest one with Julia Camera, who you'll remember from last week. All right, fall back, spring forward, Robert Winship, get your popcorn or hit the treadmill, walk the dog, whatever you got to do for this one, folks. It's going to be a good ride. That's all ahead on Picture Lock. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Picture Lock. I am Kevin Sampson, and you know the term badgering the witness. I think it really works in the courtroom and it works in life because when you badger a witness, eventually they start to kind of emotionally break down, or at least you hope so. And my next guest, I had to badger this witness because he's a witness to all things cinema and, and the way that he witnesses it, ladies and gentlemen, his voice is just so authentic, uh, so thoughtful. I am so excited to have him back on the show because... It, you guys may remember this past spring, there was no fallback spring forward because there was no Robert Winship. Finally, for fall of 2018, we've got him back, folks. Robert, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm doing good. Back in the sense, Kevin, I did I did prolong it, but only to create even more suspense
2: for this <laughs> one. And
1: that's going to keep happening. Next, next one's going to be probably two years. And then five years, but no matter what, <laughs> people are going to want to return to the deep well of uh, of artistry and, um, uh, and import of, of Kevin Sampson and Robert Winship talking about films upcoming, uh, whether we like them or not.
0: <laughs> exactly, man. No, I'm really excited about this, man. Uh, you know, it, it started with you, um, a, 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 man, a couple of years ago. I got to look at the archives. And um, and so now we're, we're back together, so I'm really excited about it. I mean, we got some pretty good films coming out and some pretty bad films, so let's go ahead and jump into it. Folks, if you're listening, um, this is the semi-annual Fallback Spring Forward segment of the show where basically Robert and I, we look at films that we think should fall back, or our least anticipated films, or Spring Forward, our most anticipated films. So, it's a nice little witty word play, uh, but fall back, spring forward, we are looking at the fall movies for uh, 2018. So, of course, I'm going to kick it off to you, Robert. Um, what is your number five most anticipated film this fall?
1: Okay. Well, this year I will say that typically I've always done it uh, chronologically. So, I went from the most uh, recent or the, the the closest to release date, all the way to the furthest back. But this year, I finally matched uh, Mr. Sampson, and I'm going actual level of anticipation. So we're counting down with my least most anticipated, all the way to my most most anticipated. Nice. And in in the number five spot, uh, normally I am not uh, I am not one to proclaim the glory of a of a superhero film, which is itself a bit of a kind of pejorative statement. But I am, of course, very excited as the rest of the The World is for Venom, which comes out, I think, this weekend.
2: Um,
1: Yeah. Directed by by Ruben Fleischer. This is, we'll we'll read the description here. Following a scandal, journalist Eddie Brock attempts to revive his career by investigating the Life Foundation, but comes into contact with an alien symbiote that bonds with Brock, giving him superpowers as long as they share the same body. Of course, this is part of the... Marvel Universe, and this is part of the kind of Spider-Man story, in the Venom role we have the incomparable Tom Hardy, and that really is what what sells this. Tom Hardy is is the kind of guy that maybe he doesn't always elevate the material, but he is always a joy to watch, and he he is usually fully inhabiting a character. In this case, he has to play two characters within the same body, both Eddie Brock and the symbiote. Uh, or, and the Venom character. So I had some concerns in the previews about the level of quality in the graphics department, but I think uh, it's still worth a hearty endorsement. Uh, alongside him, we have Michelle Williams, who's always fantastic, Marcella Braggio, and Woody Harrelson. Now, Ruben Fleischer, the last couple movies he's done, I don't think hit very big. The, the main one in his kind of canon was Zombieland. So there's mm-hmm. a tie back to, uh, Woody Harrelson. And I think he's been searching for a former glory. Zombie was such a great flick. I'm excited to see, uh, this film. I believe this, this is a, in the continuation of, of these films, it's a PG-13 movie. Would have liked to have seen maybe a kind of, uh, soft R, but that's not going to happen with a character this popular. Or at least a character that's only seen the screen twice. He was, uh, right? He's, this is only the second Venom yeah, was was in. in-
0: What, Spider-Man 3? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I think this is number two.
1: A vast improvement from Topher Grace to Tom Hardy. (laughs) At least I anticipate.
0: (laughs) I will definitely give you that, sir. I think you're absolutely correct on that. Uh, If you are finished, are you finished? Oh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to go instead of my most anticipated, my number five least anticipated, which is what you uh, just said, Venom. I, <laughs> and which is why I'm glad we're doing this because we we usually there's some things we see eye to eye on, or we usually mention the same film. So uh, I think uh, listeners, you should definitely keep a running tally of how many movies we mentioned that, you know, cross over in some ways. It could probably be a fun drinking game. Uh, but yeah, so Venom. And the reason that, you know, it's at my number five. It's one of those ones that, like, I think I would eventually see. I think all the reasons that you stated in terms of, uh, really, for me, it's only Tom Hardy. Um, I've really enjoyed him as an actor and what he brings to each role. Uh, like you said, he, he makes good choices uh, and, and in terms of just his acting in general. You always feel kind of like he's, uh, he's always in some ways like the alpha male, um, but that brooding yeah. figure. And so I think, you know, to see him kind of torn between, you know, who he is as Eddie Brock and Venom, um, I'm really excited about that. But so this is what it was for me. Like when I first saw the teaser trailer, I was super excited. I was like, "All right, it's Tom Hardy, Venom. Wow, this really looks cool." I was interested when I saw the first trailer. I immediately lost interest because when Venom starts to speak, to me it just it looks so unrealistic that it just mm-hmm. I can't suspend my disbelief. So, this is one that I think I will eventually see, but I will eventually see it when it's streaming, like when I don't have to pay money to go to the theater to see it. Just because uh, I don't, you know, this whole Spider-Man, like you said, like going back to Spider-Man 3 and all that stuff, like it just hasn't been done well. On top of that, with Ruben Fleischer, um, you know, Zombieland is a classic. However, like outside of that, I don't think, he he hasn't really done um, too much that is like, ooh, something to write home about. Um, you know, Gangster Squad wasn't that great, uh, 30 Minutes or Less, eh, it might have been okay if you were, I don't know. So anyways, um, the point is, I'm not really excited about the director, um, but I know we will get into one later on, one of these superhero films that the director actually kind of sells it for me, but not this one. So that's my number five least anticipated. So now we'll switch up. I mean, you want to go uh, least anticipated, or me go most anticipated? No. Oh, um, why
1: don't you Why do you keep the keep keep carrying it? What is your number five <laughs> uh, most anticipated? Yeah. All right. End on a high note. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And then you're gonna take it right back down. So. <laughs> My number five most anticipated is Halloween 2018. Um, This comes out October 19th. It's directed by David Gordon Green. Stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, Andy Matichok. I can't say that right. Um, I am super excited about this film. Uh, Growing up, you know, on those Friday the 13th movie marathons, they would always play. um, It was... Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Halloween's, and all of the Jason Voorhees films. And so this is when I first fell in love with like Halloween. And there's something about uh, Michael Myers and the fact that like he doesn't speak at all. Uh, but yet it's for me cinematically, the fact that a figure that doesn't speak, and I mean, this could be true about Jason as well, um, but how you actually. Uh, Create suspense, tension, and horror. Uh, It just always just fascinated me as a kid, and so to see this, where where four decades later, um, Laurie Strode is gonna finally confront Michael Myers, uh, man, I am so excited about this. And when they showed like the first trailer for this, it just I mean, I couldn't help but get goosebumps and get, like, extremely excited about it because, you know, seeing the rugged mask that looks like it has been chilling on some shelf for 40 years and now, you know, it's aged, Uh, the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis has aged, and honestly, in, in the film, they make her look probably how she probably does look without makeup. Like, she looks like an older, more mature woman, and I'm excited about that because that means that for her character, Lori Strode, she has been preparing for the past 40 years. What does that look like on screen? I don't know, but I'm going to find out October 19th. So I am extremely excited about Halloween. Um, I can't wait to see it.
1: That's an interesting choice. I, you know, I, I thought about it and I was like, well, I am excited about it because I love a good horror film. I love a horror film that reaches back into a long canon. Mm-hmm. And, I was like, I, I'm a little bit excited about it, but I'm really hesitant. But I'm not not excited about it, so I, I couldn't figure out where to put it on the list. So I'm glad you brought it up. David Gordon Green, uh, who is most known for his work with Danny McBride, who I believe is also a producer on this, right, um, has worked a lot, and he's you know done a lot of really kind of funny stoner films, and this is like a. Uh, kind of a big shift, although in watching the most recent season, if you haven't seen the, the, the HBO show Vice Principles, I suggest you do. Um, he actually had some pretty great thriller, even horror, you know, kind of maybe set pieces that I, I think he's ready to explore. Now, uh, this one canonically follows the first, right? It wipes away everything from Halloween 2, mm-hmm. Halloween 3, Season the Witch, H2O, all that. Yeah. Um, although I thought actually one of one of the, the finer pieces so i i would say i'm pretty excited that would probably be in the number six spot you're right that it, it it touches on a piece of childhood and and love for horror that runs deep so yeah i i'm definitely on on board with with more excited the more you talk about it the more you're excited about it the more i'm excited about it and that's the way these movies got to be seen you got to go with your friends you got to go with your buddies whoever right. <laughs> right enjoy that among 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 friends and well, maybe not family if you got young kids, but uh, <laughs> will you? Can you take? Can you take your wife to go see Halloween? Would she go?
0: You know, I don't think she would be down for it. I I think <laughs> she'd be like, "Nah, that's too scary for me." And I mean, honestly, like I'm not a big fan of horror anymore because that stuff sticks with me. However, off of nostalgia, it's just like it. Like I had to go see it because the little kid in me would not let me sit on the couch and not go see it.
1: I hear you. That makes sense. <laughs> I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. I took uh, the last, I think it was probably last October, uh, around I don't remember when it was now, there was a Friday the 13th, an actual 13th day of the month that was on a Friday. Right. And uh, at E Street Cinemas here in D.C., the landmark E Street Cinema, they were doing a Midnight Madness with, uh, with an original film cut of, Friday the, of, uh, of Halloween. And uh, I took Emily Catherine to go see it, and she was actually pretty impressed by it. It's so funny now because that language, that visual language has been so uh, fully explored to the point of, you know, kind of destroying its meaning that she, you know, was recognizing all these different kind of touchstones of modern horror and like it kind of goes back to that. Right. And of course that soundtrack is just uh, bone chilling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. John Carpenter. Yeah.
0: All right, man. So we're on your number five, least anticipated.
1: I'm going to say as little about this as I, I I possibly can. I was shocked to see that actually being released in the year two, in the year of our Lord 2018 <laughs> is Johnny English Strikes Again, uh, a, a film series uh, that was second. Rowan Atkinson, a, a great British comedian, most known for his character Mr. Bean on the television show and, and later a movie. Uh, did a movie in, I think, 2003. He may have done a follow-up, like a direct-to-video or something, but the original Johnny English, done in 2003, and they're reviving this character. I'll read the the blurb. After a cyber attack reveals the identity of all of the active undercover agents in Britain. Johnny English is forced to come out of retirement to find the mastermind, mastermind hacker. Directed <laughs> by David Kerr, this also stars uh, Emma Thompson and Jake Lacey. Um, I, I guess I get it. Johnny English was a movie, it is a thing, uh, and to that we're reviving all things that were things uh, on the screen because at some point it made money, but I cannot imagine a reason for this uh, other than that. I think this is getting a theatrical release, which just blows my mind. There's no. not a lot to say about it. I have considerable love for Rowan Atkinson, The Thin Blue Line, among my favorites, uh, and Blackadder, for that matter. Uh, are among my favorite TV shows. I love British comedy, but this is just a a why, a why, why do this? So I will, I will leave it at that. Johnny English strikes again. Fall back, son. (laughs) And then I'm going (laughs) to
0: fall back. son. I love it. I love it.
1: (laughs) Should I go on to, uh, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to move it forward because in the horror tradition, we have what I imagine is going to be in your list, but I'm not 100% sure. Number four, spring-forward, or winter-forward, whatever, *Desperia*. This is a a remake uh, of a film uh, by Dario Argento, the great Italian Gallo director. This one directed by Luca Guadagnino, uh, who did Call Me By Your Name. And uh, this is, uh, I'll read the blurb again, a darkness swirls at the center of a world-renowned dance company, one that will engulf the artistic director, an ambitious young dancer, and a grieving psychotherapist. Some will succumb to the nightmare. Others will finally wake up. The original Suspiria is a very, very visual, psychedelic, nightmarish movie with a masterpiece of a soundtrack done by Goblin. So that is a high bar to clear in terms of just meeting the the kind of, maybe zeitgeist of the moment when, when Suspiria first comes out. Now we have a much more democratized movie industry maybe not democratized enough but we have seen more visually interesting movies that get small even large releases and Suspiria has already been done so for this um obviously I have some some reservations but the director is strong this one stars Dakota Johnson who you may know from the Fifty Shades of Grey series uh grossly underutilized but I think she's capable for sure Tilda Swinton, Mia Goth, Angela Winkler uh, and also, Tom York of Radiohead is doing the soundtrack. Now, I heard one of the songs uh, from the, the original soundtrack, and I was a little bit, uh, little bit underwhelmed. It sounds like Tom York uh, doing an impression of Tom York. But still, for such a visually exciting movie that from the previews looks really, uh, really thrilling from a great director, I am excited and, and endorse going to see Suspiria.
0: Yeah, man, Um, I totally agree with you. And yes, if you uh, are playing the drinking game, then you got to go ahead and throw one back. Uh, Mine is a little further down the list, and you kind of knocked that out. Um, But we will get to it uh, pretty soon here. Um, My number four most anticipated film is The Hate You Give. Now, this is directed by George Tillman Jr. And in it, Star witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend, Khalil, at the hands of a police officer. Now facing pressures from all sides of the community, Star must find her voice and stand up for what's right. Now, uh, this is based off of an actual book uh, that was written by Angie Thomas. And I believe the book came out in 2017, but um, it was a number one bestseller. Um, I'm really kind of shocked at how quickly it was adapted to Screenplay by Audrey Wells. Um, it stars Amanda, um, sorry, Amanda, which is kind of hard to say, but Amanda Steenberg, uh Regina Hall, Russell Hornsby. Um, it's it looks like it's a really solid cast. Russell Hornsby. I don't know if you saw Seven Seconds on um, Netflix, uh, but that you know is it's a gripping. Uh, series uh seven seconds and russell hornsby really turned in great performance there regina hall has been doing really well um just in terms of as she's getting older because um, if you remember regina hall started out like a scary movie or something like that like the the um, oh my
1: god yes you're right <laughs> the,
0: the 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 wayans brothers um you know spoof and and so to see her growth since then is is just incredible. But I think that this is a film that's close to my heart, just in terms of you know, uh, as African Americans, we we're dealing with you know um, these fair or unfair um, shootings at the hands of police officers, and so it's amazing to me to see how art imitates life, and. As especially as a festival director for me, with the DC Black Film Festival, you know I'm able to watch our artists, our filmmakers who turn in these films that you know have been you know focused on you know uh, police shootings and you know documentaries and things like that. And so now for it to not just be on the indie festival circuit, but now like in theaters where people can actually watch and, you know, sit there, think about what they're seeing, and have a conversation afterwards, I think it's extremely important. So my number four is The Hate U Give.
1: That's a, that seems like a, an excellent choice. I had seen a preview for that and saw it in the list of upcoming movies, but I didn't, um, I didn't know much about it, although it looks like it has uh, Issa Rae in it from Insecure, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. shows, uh, another great HBO show. So that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds really... I'll take your endorsement wholeheartedly nice. So what's the fallback Counterpart to that
0: uh, Well you know What was funny is earlier when you were saying You know in the year of our lord uh, 2018 I thought you were going to mention this um, But I have to go with Robin Hood uh for <laughs> the fact that in the year of our lord, as they probably would say in a film like that, uh, we're still getting these Robin of Loxley, you know, uh films. It just oh, man. So just to kind of give the description, a war-hardened crusader and his Moorish commander mount an audacious revolt against the corrupt English crown in a thrilling action adventure packed with gritty battlefield exploits, mind-blowing fight choreography, and a timeless romance. Does that actually sound anything like a Robin Hood description? Uh, It's directed by Otto Bathurst. Uh, I hope I got that correct. And uh, written by Ben Chandler. But it stars Taron Egerton, uh, Ben Mendelsohn, uh, and Jamie Foxx, to name a few. And, you know, Taron Egerton, I mean, he's he's okay in, you know, th- basically these kind of bravado roles. Um, you know, he's probably more famous for the Kingsman series. Uh, Hi. And so, you know, he does that well where he's like, you know, I don't know what you want to call it up and coming alpha male if you want want to say that he he's somewhere between to me like a uh boy and a jock and I I don't know it's just I'm never really he's impressed
1: a, he's a generic hunky white dude and yeah basically <laughs> not necessarily he can't carry a film or we're not sure you know like you need more than just looks to to carry you need some charisma and maybe not evident that he's he's quite there yet.
0: You, you you nailed it. And then on top of that, you know, Jamie Foxx, they've been selling Jamie Foxx uh, in any trailer you see, and I've been seeing it, you know, pre-roll for so many films. Like, he's supposedly one of the big stars. But, like, even to me so far in what I've seen in the trailer, his performance is cringeworthy. Like, it just doesn't fit. And, and so for that, I mean... And I'm gonna be straight up frank. I appreciate diversity in film. Uh, but sometimes like it just the black dude being, you know, the the trainer, it just doesn't work. And in this, it just doesn't it doesn't feel right. His accent, mm. everything, it just doesn't work. Now, Ben Mendelson, love him. This dude yes. can act his butt off. Jamie Foxx can act his butt off as well. Yes. Um, so you know, th- ah but at the end of the day yeah i am just not looking i'm not checking for it i don't even know if i would watch this when it hits streaming i i will definitely listen to the reviews and see what people are are saying but you know this is gonna come in november 21st and be gone you know by december 21st like it's not gonna last that long so that's my number four
1: that's exactly what this movie seems like to me. It's a, you know, it's a PG-13 rating. They're trying to kind of gather up as many people butts and feet, and I, I think it seems like at at best it's going to be forgettable, not a fiasco. Uh, Jamie Fox may be one of those actors, and I'm trying to think of some other. I can think of people that are the reverse, but an actor who just can't do period pieces, and it's not necessarily because he doesn't have the acting chops. It's just there's something about like. Jamie Foxx is the present jamie Foxx right. represents can do anything from you know comedy to gritty drama, but if you put him in a costume and, and make him do an accent it's just gonna it's gonna create this this weird dissonance in scene as opposed to somebody like Kira Knightley, who seems like she belongs two hundred <laughs> years in the past who right. only does period pieces and to see her in something modern is is strange. I'm trying to think of who like a anyway
0: that no no uh, that. That was a really good analogy. And now, when you think about it, when was Jamie Foxx used? Probably correctly. Django Unchained, because of his present star power, it made sense to kind of have this reimagining of like this really confident black man that, you know, um, was shooting everybody up. Like it it worked for that because of what it was in in the reimagining. But um, yeah, you're definitely correct, Robert. Like he just doesn't fit into something that far back.
1: And that's a good point. That's a really good point about Django Chain, because as that movie kind of rewrites things uh, using a sort of modern bravado, really worked and was so satisfying in that film. And he just, yeah, he he absolutely took care of it in that role. So yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. Huh. This is, uh, I think, we have another picture lock podcast. Who belongs in the past and who
0: belongs in the present. Exactly. That would be dope. Let's take a quick break for promos. Stay tuned. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do. And as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realized that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know and a behind-the-scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your films, PR, and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to prfortheindiefilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. Picture Lock's question of the week last week was Who will win the match of Victor Drago versus Adonis Creed in Creed 2? On Instagram, I got nothing. Retweets and likes on Twitter, but no feedback as per usual. I gotta do better on Twitter. I'm just just not good at having those conversations on Twitter, but I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna do better. On Facebook, Team Michael B. Jordan said, thank God, no more classes until Tuesday. I'm not quite sure what that meant, but I'm assuming because the trailer had dropped, you know, they'd be able to geek out over the trailer. I mean, it is Team Michael B. Jordan, so. Uh, Anthony Patrick said, remind me to miss that. So, I think Anthony is not a fan. <laughs> Jay Jameson uh, hit me up in my inbox on Facebook, he said, In the closing seconds of the match, Adonis has fought his way back from a deficit and has beaten Baby Drago. Right as the bell rings, lightning strikes, a time portal opens up, and a butt-naked, d aged Schwarzenegger pops up. He shoots Baby Drago in the head, revealing that he was a Terminator sent from the future. Before Drago can get up, Arnold grabs Sly and Michael B. yelling, Get to the chopper! He explains in the helicopter that they have to find an aging mad scientist and his younger but still aging buddy with an old beat-up DeLorean in order to travel even further back in time so they can prevent an apocalyptic future by stopping an event in the past. (laughs) Jay, I appreciate you writing that. I I think that that is a very interesting concept. No call-ins this week, but no doubt Jay's answer wins the match. Alright, thanks to everyone who weighed in on last week's question. This week's question of the week, in honor of the Fallback Spring Forward episode, what's your least anticipated fall movie release? Leave me a message 60 seconds or less on what film or films you're not excited about hitting theaters. Least anticipated fall movie releases. And I'm going to do my best to play it on the show. Call 202-350-1351. 202-350-1351. You can always let me know on social media or email me at picturelockshow@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And I'll read your answer next episode. All right, let's get back into the fallback spring forward episode.
1: I'll go ahead and knock out my number four worst uh, with a movie that, again, in the year of our Lord, 2018, I cannot (laughs) believe because this felt like a flashback to 2004. And that is the movie Second Act. Um, This is a rom-com, well, more like a dramedy, I think, than a rom-com starring J-Lo. Stuck in a low-paying job. A woman get a chance. A woman, J-Lo. Jennifer Lopez, as she's built, gets a chance to fulfill her career ambitions when a private finance firm is misled into believing that she's an accomplished consultant and hires her to handle a major business deal. Now, uh, this seems a little light on romance, although I did catch a glimpse of Milo Ventimiglia, who you may remember from. I remember him from Gilmore Girls, but he's also in what's the really sappy TV show that everyone loves. This is Us. Mm, Um, Yes. He plays the, you know, the hero dad in This Is Us. But primarily, uh, Jennifer Lopez, Leah Remini is the kind of straight-talking best friend. This also stars Vanessa Hudgens and Charlene Yee. Um, Again, this movie feels like it's straight out of 2003, which doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. Um, That fact was further kind of embedded and rehashed when, at the outset, they played a song by the Cranberries, uh, the dreams, and that which I remember from the Babysitter's Club preview, throwback, and <laughs> followed it up with Push It by Salt and Teppa. So, like, just pushing the idea of this movie further back into the '90s uh, and '80s, as it may be. Um, I'm sure it'll be serviceable, but this just seems like another in a string of very, very generic Jennifer Lopez rom-com, uh movies. Yeah, and that's it. That's that's all I have to say. And, and and that's not to say that if you go to see this, that you won't get exactly what you expect to out of this. And not to deride anybody that would, but as far as exciting movies, eh, I feel like this has been done quite a few times.
0: You know, um, I I did see this on lists, and it didn't even make any of my lists. Um, so you're you're very kind to actually mention it. Um, I I totally understand what you're saying, and I think here is another. Um, Point in terms of like J Lo, who we know as you know a fashion icon. You know, uh, she she is definitely just a talented woman, an actress, singer, dancer. Uh, you know, perfume, all this kind of stuff. And so when you try to take someone who is as iconic as J Lo, and then try mm-hmm. to make her the girl next door. She hasn't been Jenny from the block for quite some time.
1: And,
2: no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so to your point, it just doesn't work. Like I, I was watching the trailer just now and, you know, even her apartment looks really nice or maybe that's not her apartment. But whatever she's in, it just it just doesn't feel authentic. So like they showed her jogging and she's jogging in full makeup. She just doesn't look like, you know, the homegirl around the around the corner, you know, the average Person. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be. It's
1: only ever like with her, it's only ever like hustled hair. That's like the difference between <laughs> Jennifer Lopez, JLo, as we know her, and Jennifer Lopez, you know, trying to win Matthew McConaughey in, you know, Made in Manhattan or whatever.
0: Right, right, yeah, right. It,
1: it, it is unrealistic to expect someone that beautiful, talented, and uh successful to be played as this sort of. They don't even give her glasses. They don't even do the classic, like, 90s nerd comedy thing of, like, oh, when she takes off her glasses, suddenly she's, you know, she's the prom queen kind of thing.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and just to go back, Made in Manhattan, it was, uh, how do you say it? Ralph Fenne- Fien- Fiennes? Rafe,
1: oh, sorry, yeah, Rafe Fiennes.
0: Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, and then what was it? Uh, was it the wedding planner was Matthew McConaughey? Wedding
2: planner. But yes.
0: but l- let me say this though, and then we'll get off of this, because um, I'm kind of showing my <laughs> my uh, rom com because because like Alex loves watching movies like this, like so so I get roped into it, and they are cute films, like those yeah, back sure. then, bo- those back then, but like you said, I highly doubt she can capture that same magic. You know, the the magic um, that Julia Roberts had when, you know, the box gets snapped and shut and it almost hits her fingers. Like, you know, that was a time (laughs) in their lives. But then once you ascend to a certain height, you can't go back to play, you know, Jenny from the block. So you're right, man. That's 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 a good one.
1: Jennifer Lopez dating Alex Rodriguez on the cover of Vanity Fair, (laughs) you know, like that's (laughs) Right. And great for, you know, great for her. We have, man, we have a lot to say about this. Maybe, maybe another, maybe another topic for a podcast.
0: Maybe. maybe. Robert, hey, man, listen, I'm going to badger the witness. You're always welcome on, man. I love when we get to just kind of geek out on film like this. Uh, But let's, let's slide on into, uh, you know, our number three. So uh, I'll let you, you kick it off. Number three, most anticipated.
1: I was, You know, I was looking through and and thinking about movies I had heard about and and watching some previews, and this is one that I wanted to not like and wanted to not be excited about, but as I watched the preview and kind of read uh, a little bit more about it, I couldn't help but feel like this movie tapped into something uh, very specific about my childhood and, and to be honest, a lot of people's childhood, and that is the terribly named but possibly great movie Mid-90s. Mm. Uh, this is directed. This is a directorial debut from Jonah Hill. you remember from Superbad? Jonah Hill? Mm-hmm. Hollywood is
2: trying to really
1: push him as a kind of leading man. Um, and in some ways he's able to do that, but it, it'll be interesting to see what he wants to what he wants to do and the story he wants to tell from behind the camera. mid90s follows Stevie, a 13 year old 90s era. L.A. kid who spends his summer navigating between his troubled home life and a group of new friends that he meets at a Motor Avenue skate shop. So most of this film uh, seems to be very sort of slice of life um, about, you know, kids skating in L.A. in the 90s. Now, I'm not from L.A., but I spent a significant amount of time with friends videotaping each other doing stupid skateboard tricks and just messing around and hanging out. Um, and being unified in that. And that's really the story of kids everywhere, whether you had a skateboard or bikes or just played basketball or whatever you did. Mm-hmm. There's something about that that seems to tap into... Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited about the way that this film was presented, and it does seem to kind of mix both kind of uh, grainy videotape footage and actual cleaned-up cinematography. Um I like a movie that can waste time and just show me people hanging out in a genuine way uh because that taps into something that is important to me as a person which is just spending time with people in maybe it's meaningful maybe it's talking about something significant maybe it's just skateboarding or or goofing around mm. and that comes from spending time with my brothers and my friends you know skateboarding and, and hanging out when I was a kid I have a you know I have four brothers and we had a large extended family that were friends and friends of friends that would all go out and do stupid things. And uh, this movie seems to capture that. It also stars Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges, by the way, looks exactly like my youngest brother, Elijah. It is creepy (laughs) how much he looks like him. So anytime I see him in a movie, that immediately draws me in just a little bit further because I think, well, there's Elijah on screen. So mid-90s, that's my number three. I'm really excited to see what Jonah Hill does with this. I think it's uh, a great idea for a movie. I'm excited to see it.
0: Yeah, you know, um, this is definitely on my radar. I'm, I, I, I'm not super excited about it, but um, it, it's one that I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of uh, awards-worthy buzz uh, on it. And like mm-hmm. you said, um, just kind of seeing, you know, Jonah Hill, who I, I think even for his career, he has really grown, um, you know, from uh, super bad days to, uh, what was the baseball one with Brad Pitt and... Moneyball. Yeah, Moneyball. And 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 now, you know, stepping out and kind of getting behind the camera to tell a story. One of the things about um, this film is it was shot in Super 16. Uh, so, you know, it, it kind of gives you that real 90s feel, um, you know, mm-hmm. the aspect ratio and... Just like you said, I think one of the things that's really cool is when folks just let scenes kind of play out and you know that hanging out, it it feels more true to life. Um, and Mm -hmm. probably Paula Valley would love the the realism uh, of it, (laughs) uh, but but yeah, it just feels more authentic because that's usually how life is for us, it's not these series of cuts and jumps through time. But, you know, you have to live that hour of hanging out outside the the grocery store. Um, And so when we get something like that, where we can linger and actors are able to riff off of each other and things like that, I definitely think that it'll be an interesting watch. So I can certainly respect uh, that choice. My number three uh, is a film that you mentioned already, Suspiria. Um, So there's no need to really go down that hole. Uh, Luca Guadagnino, sorry about that. Yeah, like we both had to figure out how to say it. But, uh, you know, uh, his direction uh, on the film. I'm really looking forward to seeing this. And I don't remember if it was you or someone else, but someone gave you know, just this rave review of the original Suspiria, and saying how much of a psychological, you know, thriller slash horror film it was, and so uh, for that alone, like, I kind of want to see this one first, and maybe that's not good, because I probably should see the original, and then I'll be able to appreciate this one, Um, but, you know, I don't, who has enough time to be watching all these, but anyways, uh, you no, know. but
1: don't wait. Wait, wait a second. I, I, let me stop you right there. Go. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. Go. Go with your gut. Go see this Suspiria, and don't be like every other film nerd who's like, "Well, I wonder if this is going to live on the visual, you know, the aspect <laughs> ratio, any of that stuff." No, go in and experience it in a way that is not going to be common from a reviewer's perspective, which is that you haven't seen the original. Treat, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Treat this film, uh, you know, as as it exists on its own. And then we'll compare
0: notes. No, you're, and you're correct on that. I, I do, uh, I think, I feel like I will have to see the original after seeing this just to be able to compare and contrast um, to see, like, what are the differences. But like I said, whoever I had spoken to, they gave it such a high review that when I heard that, you know, this um, remake it was coming out that uh, I was just like, okay, this has to be on the list after watching um, the trailer, it definitely um, just feels uh, otherworldly, but still based in this world. So we will see. I mean, you tell me Tilda Swinton, and I'm there. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's my number three most anticipated film.
1: I think it's. I think it's a great choice. I'm. I'm excited to see it. And again, a, a horror film that isn't so, you know, kind of blood and guts horror.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I, I think we've reached the midpoint now. This is We're going into our number three least anticipated films. If you don't mind, I'm going to kick this off uh, with the amazing Aquaman.
2: In uh, it, <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 Arthur Curry learns that he is the heir to the underwater kingdom of Atlantis and must step forward to lead his people and be a hero to the world. Now this obviously stars Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Amber Heard is in it. Nicole Kidman. Uh, now, what I was talking about earlier, it's directed by James Wan, and I am oh yeah I'm a fan of James Wan as a director. So I know that you know, in terms of the direction, in terms of uh, you know some of the stylistic choices, uh, I think that that will be, it's in good hands. However, Aquaman just, one, as a character, like, I don't think anyone ever growing up said, I want to be Aquaman. I, I, don't, I don't think any of the kids right now who are watching these, you know, superhero films, DC comic films, are saying, ooh, I want to be Aquaman. Like, it, you just don't say that. And the way that they have, you know, in Justice League, they had him jumping out of uh was that a plane or a helicopter well it might have been the batmobile i don't know but he jumped out of it and like surfboard all the way down through a building came out and then did the head and shoulders you know flick of his hair and said some witty line it just i don't i love the charisma that you know uh, momoa brings to aquaman uh by by all means like if you're some kind of party frat boy like he he has to be your hero. However, I I don't think he's interesting enough to, you know, carry his own solo uh film. So, for me like you can fall back on this one. Again, it's one that I will most likely see even if it's on Netflix or streaming. Um, you know, sometimes I just want to be able to know, okay, well what was that missing step that i haven't seen in this chain of dc comic films however i'm not in a hurry to go see this in the theater unless like there is just some amazing buzz which i don't think is going to happen again this is going to be coming out december 21st um and that's my number three least anticipated
1: it's interesting that aquaman is sort of like a plot point slash uh, punchline in the show Entourage. (laughs) Mm. Uh, It's this like forever in the making film, uh, James Cameron at the helm in that show, that was, for the sake of that narrative, plausible enough, but also probably not going to get made so they wouldn't have to compete with any real life. And and at that point, Entourage was pre-MCU, uh, or at least pre-modern MCU. So it's kind of funny. I, I think you're right. It's, it's serviceable. It, it, I wonder if it'll break even. Uh, I, I kind of doubt it, but, um, it's one of those, yeah, if it's on, maybe I'll watch it a little bit. Jason Momoa, we all love him. Kyle Drogo, all you Game of Thrones nerds.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but even there, like his, the impression was supposed to be that he's this sort of hulking figure that you can't quite communicate with. Um, but sort of teaches Khaleesi about how to. You know, we're going we're going to talk about Game of Thrones. So let's let's not do that. <laughs> I think yeah, he's he's a he's a hulky, handsome guy that's good physically for the role. But yeah, who, who wanted to be Aquaman when they were a kid? Even if you were just trying to pick an obscure character, Aquaman probably not your guy.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I think I think I don't I, I can pontificate further, but uh, let's go ahead, jump on your your turn.
1: <laughs> okay, number three, um, this one uh, I chose, a, a movie I didn't know was being made, that looks like a lot of movies uh, being made now, and an adaptation from fiction, this is Mortal Engines. Uh, a mysterious young woman named Hester Shaw joins forces with Anna Fang, a dangerous outlaw with a bounty on her head, and Tom Natsworthy, an outcast from London, to lead a rebellion against a giant predator city, On wheels. (laughs) The minute, the I mean, uh, the second they said Predator City, I, I lost it. Uh, This, okay, this stars Hugo Weaving, Stephen Lang, Robert Sheen, and Frankie Adams. This is, uh, I don't think this is actually a work of young adult fiction, but this movie basically looks like uh, a YA adaptation. In fact, what this movie really looks like is a a more steampunk version of The Wild Wild West, uh, which Mm. was a terrible movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Despite having a great song by Will Smith and Drew Hill, uh, Mortal Engines just, uh, it looks really kind of lifeless. I like Hugo Weaving, but he's playing the same uh, emotionally reserved character that he often plays. This movie looks extremely expensive uh, in its, In its budget, a lot of kind of visual flourish, uh, a lot of CG, well, predator cities. But I didn't even know about this until I had to hunt down what was coming up. And for a movie that looks so incredibly expensive, I'm sure that this will not do well in, in theaters. And I, even for it's like the idea of seeing like giant mechanized cities attacking each other, that should be fun. But in our modern CGI era, that tends to feel very kind of weightless. There's no heft. There's no actual stakes. Do so you just see a bunch of expensive stuff attacking another bunch of expensive stuff and doesn't amount to much in the form of plot or stakes or even exciting adventure? So Mortal Engines, number three, um, frankly, I'd rather watch second act. <laughs>
0: Man that's kind of funny. Um you know, <laughs> which
1: it, means it should have been number 4.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, a, a, as you kind of say this, uh it, I mean looking at the trailer, it reminds me a little bit of Mad Max Fury Road. Um but I'm not trying oh, to yeah. put it, I'm not even trying to put it like on the same um you know, equivalency. Um Kevin
1: Sampson says, "Mad Max Fury Road.
0: Do not do that to me." Um, you know, I think that this is one of those things where like it would definitely be an interesting concept to read because, again, our imagination uh, does so much in regard to uh, putting together what this world looks like. And even the suspension of belief, I could I could really see how like as. The words describe what what's what you see, how you could get into it. Um, but yes, I'm sorry. What like why are our cities on wheels, and it just doesn't quite make sense. Now, you know, I see Timothy Chalamet is in it, um, which you know, obviously he, his career is really taken off at the moment. Um, but again, I think you're absolutely correct to have it on the least anticipated. It wasn't even. It wasn't on my radar until you brought it up again, because then I was like, oh yeah, I do remember seeing something about that, but it just looks, it really looks cheesy, horrible. And I don't even know if I would be willing to give it the time when it comes on uh, streaming because it just looks like one that, yeah, you can miss me, fall back on that one. But unfortunately, like you said, it does look like it was pretty expensive um, to, to to create just the wardrobe and you know set the production itself um, and that's unfortunate.
1: And this is a uh, this is basically this is a December fourteenth release. So you're com- you're going to be competing against some of my other best and worst um, that I know on both categories. are going to draw more attention.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny because like December twenty first is you know Aquaman. uh yep. I, There was something else. Uh, oh yeah, which I'm about to get into um, that's coming out, and it, it's they're trying to hit us like that week before, the Friday before, uh, you know, whether it's Christmas or Thanksgiving with, mm-hmm. you know, these different films. And yeah, so interesting, man. All right, so uh, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I am uh, being, I mean, I'm just having a great time with my co-host today, Robert Winship. <laughs> we are <laughs> doing our semi-annual fallback spring forward. What that means is that there are certain films that we really are excited to see, our most anticipated, that can spring forward. And then there are some films that we are really not excited to see, uh, least anticipated, that can fall back. And so we have just reached our number two uh, films. And, uh, Robert, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go first. What's your most ant- anticipated number two film?
1: Um, this one... Uh well, uh, let's just say it out. If, uh, if Beale Street could talk, this comes out November 30th. This is the follow-up from director, director Barry Jenkins, uh, who we know from,
2: from Moonlight.
1: Moonlight, uh, a magnificent, almost like tone poem told over, uh, the lifespan of a young man in three phases. Uh, an unbelievable work, uh, of Of directing a fantastic movie, uh, I'm so excited to see what Barry Jenkins has coming up. The fact that he is adapting James Baldwin uh, puts the stakes as high as they possibly could be. Mm. Um, So this is just two years after winning. He returns uh, the best picture. Jenkins returns with this James Baldwin adaptation, which is about a couple in 1970s Harlem, played by Stephen James and Kiki Lane. Who are torn apart by a false rape accusation and a racist justice system now um this movie visually looks to me extremely uh i don't want to say exciting uh but extremely specific and extremely singular mm. and i i'm just i have not actually read uh this particular work if Beale Street could talk but um I don't know. It just, it seems so different than anything else that I'm, I'm used to seeing on screen. Uh, Regina King is also in this movie. It seems like in the narrative uh, that it's very contained, that it's a small cast of characters um, that the story is told in a very tight way, which makes sense, especially considering Moonlight. And I think that that's an effective strategy for adapting uh, James Baldwin's prose, which can be, I don't know, sort of, difficult and heady at times, so I don't really have the right language to, to talk about a film, especially after joking about the last six films, to talk about this, but I, <laughs> I am really excited to see, and, and I mean that in all seriousness, it's already premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival mm-hmm. and received, has received some acclaim. Mm-hmm. The, the most negative notes that I've seen have to do with the fact that Baldwin is so difficult to adapt. Um, and that the visual style overtakes at times a narrative that is difficult to parse out. Nevertheless, I will absolutely be uh, in the theater for If Beale Street Could Talk.
0: Yeah, man, I'm glad that you mentioned this one. It it makes my honorable mentions. It didn't make my list, but um, it's definitely one that I am really looking forward uh, to seeing. You know, Barry Jenkins, I think there are certain directors... Uh, that, for me personally, I feel like they get cinema in a way that others don't. Uh, you think about like Hitchcock, and he just understood understood suspense. And um, I think that you know, for the younger, upcoming African American directors, I think about Barry Jenkins, Ryan Coogler, D. Rees, um, all of these filmmakers understand cinema and they are able to take what is on the page and give you an experience when you go into the movie theater and uh, so so on that alone you know Barry Jenkins I'm excited I love uh, the cinematography the skin Mm -hmm. you know tones that we see uh, within this but then also Jenkins has a way of uh, examining someone's face and you can see this all through the trailer um he lets his camera linger kind of hover um it's a graceful slow moves but we're able to really get into the actor's face and i think that's what really helps us to uh see you know the people as people not just like you know actors on a big screen um and and that's what i think really worked well for the struggle that was within a moonlight. So I'm looking forward to, um, you know, his, his tale of tension and, you know, this, this story. Um, so it's definitely on my honorable mention, uh, and I totally salute you for putting it on there, and I, I'm grateful you did.
1: That's an interesting point you make about the, the kind of way that he hones in on the face. I, I was brought to, like, two ideas from that one. I remember the first time I saw Silence of the Lamb and how much they, they focused on this is the Jonathan Demme movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> which of course everyone knows, yeah. um, but how much they really tried to hone in on the psychological aspect of a psychological thriller by, by letting the actors work with just their faces mm-hmm. in these scenes. This is Anthony Hopkins. This is Jodie Foster. And it really worked well. Um, in a, in a movie that is built on action and suspense in a way, but it is built on on the kind of understanding the psychology of these characters. And you're absolutely right; it does that. Um, so that's that's a that's a really good way to put it. I, I yeah
0: yeah. Well, uh, all right. So um, you know, my number two most anticipated film is set in contemporary Chicago amidst a time of turmoil for women with nothing in common except the debt left behind by their dead husbands. Criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to forge a future on their own terms. Comes out November 16th. It is Widows. Widows is starring Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki. I can't say that. Um, And I, I am really excited about this, one, because Steve McQueen is directing it. You know, he directed uh, *Hunger*, which I feel is uh, kind of slept-on film. Uh, *Shame*, *12 Years a Slave*, uh, and so it's been—it's been a minute, I think, since we've actually seen him on the big screen. In fact, I think it—it it hasn't been—he hasn't done uh, an actual feature since *12 Years a Slave*. So this is kind of his return um, since 2013, five years later, uh, to the big yep. screen with a, a feature, um, you put Viola Davis in anything, you know, it's gotta be, it's <laughs> it's worth a watch because, because she's one of those actresses that like, I, I forget the name of the one, um, and, and it was her and Lo actually talk about, um, you know, five degrees of separation or whatever, but, uh, it was her and J. Lo, and they kind of like go on this crime spree as well. And even though the film wasn't like the best, um, it, it was her choices within it. it I, it's L- Lilla, or Lila and Eve came out in 2015. Um, if, if you get to see that, it's the choices within it that she makes. So Viola Davis is just an outstanding actress. We all know that. Uh, So anytime that she says, hey, you know, I'm going to spend some of my life and my most precious uh, commodity, my time on a certain Mm -hmm. project, you know, that project has to be uh, it's got to be worth it. Um, And so, again, the combination of her, Steve McQueen, uh, I just can't wait to see Widows. That's my number two most anticipated.
1: Yeah, I, I I think in a way, like, as you put it, Beale Street could talk. Like, I like a movie that, that tells a story that's a little bit more confined, that I can explore uh, the characters. And I think Widow seems a little less like that, uh, mm-hmm. whereas Beale Street seems a little more. But, yeah, Steve McQueen, I keep forgetting that he's directing that movie for some reason. Yeah, Hunger and Shame, uh, his work with Michael Fassbender, obviously 12 Years of Slave um i yeah maybe i missed I missed something by the by not putting widows on here, so you're <laughs> you're absolutely right. a double endorsement
0: awesome, all right, we're moving into our uh, number two least anticipated film. I'll go ahead and kick this off with bumblebee uh in the, the and <laughs> yeah, we could go back to yep. this again in the year of our <laughs> lord twenty eighteen <2018. laughs> Why in the world are we still getting these Transformer movies? Um, And I'm not sure. I got to do my actual research. I'm assuming maybe, you know, with Hasbro, uh, if a certain film doesn't come out, you know, every X amount of years, then the rights might go back to it. I'm not sure. But I never asked for a Bumblebee movie. I don't know who did. Um, And unfortunately, we're getting it. The description is on the run in the year 1987. Bumblebee finds refuge in a junkyard in a small Californian beach town. Charlie, on the cusp of turning 18 and trying to find her place in the world, discovers Bumblebee, battle-scarred and broken. It's directed by Travis Knight, uh, stars Justin Thoreau, Haley Steinfeld, Marcella Braggio. Bragio? Uh, yeah, this thing can fall all the way back. And when it falls, I hope that it takes the rest of the Transformers franchise with it for at least 10 years. 10 years later, you know, I'll be like, okay, cool. Like, uh, let me go with my son, KJ. He's 14. Hey, yeah, daddy (laughs) used to watch this way back in the day. Blah, 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 blah. blah. But, like, ah, man, it just, ah, I don't understand why we're we're getting a Bumblebee story. I do understand that a, a lot of people out of the Transformers, you always kind of love Bumblebee as he talks with the radio. And, you know, he just seems like if, if Bumblebee was a human being, he'd be a nice guy. Um, but I didn't ask for this movie. I don't think anyone else did. But yet we're getting it. Now, Travis Knight Uh, Doesn't have much directing, many directing credits to his name, Uh, but he does have Kubo and the Two Strings. He directed that. He was the lead animator on Paranorman, Coraline, and The Box Trolls, which are all pretty good, or, you know, solid animated films. Um, Obviously, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings was uh, Academy Award nominated. Uh, so you know it, it'll be interested, interesting to see maybe what he does with it. Sometimes I do like when uh, the studio takes out a bet on a director and says, "Hey, let's give this person a shot um, that is not necessarily the the most uh, I don't know the normal pick that you know, you would mm-hmm. expect to see. So, so we'll see what he does with it, but I, I just think that, honestly, Transformers and any type of Transformer, they, they just need to let that thing fall back for a decade. Give us a break, come back again, and then we can take this. So my number two least anticipated, Bumblebee. I,
1: you're, yeah, I, I'm just going to echo that. I'm, I'm shocked that, well, I'm not shocked, who can be shocked. It is an existing property that they're going to milk for every dollar they can. It's a $102 million budget. What's interesting about this movie, I think, is that the, the, it is a star vehicle for Haley Steinfeld, who I remember from True Grit, which is a fantastic movie uh, starring Jeff Bridges, a remake of the, uh, uh, the John Wayne movie, mm-hmm. and then also John Cena. Two, two people that are right now kind of trying to make a, a move upward toward more kind of star vehicles. They're both charismatic, great actors, and it's interesting that they're being placed in this movie with a high budget in an existing property to try and kind of, I think, boost them to a bigger level of stardom. So in a way, it's, it's almost the most interesting, uh, at least of latter Transformers films. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. What is this? I mean, I know the answer, but what is this doing? And this is another, (laughs) this is a December 21st so competing with Aquaman, definitely going to knock out Mortal, I've already forgotten the name, Mortal Engine.
0: Right, 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 exactly. And and that was what I was saying in terms of, uh, you know, I didn't want to say drop it back then, but, yeah, it's just like one of those things where, man, they are, I mean, studios are smart enough to know, all right, we need to jump. And I think in part, like, it just kind of happens, to, from from what I understand, many times it may happen to coincide at the same time, but a lot of times people see, okay, you know, Star Wars is coming out on December 28th, so we're not going to compete with that that weekend, because you're not going to make any money, so they'll go the uh-huh. week
2: be-
0: before, and so, you know, it's just interesting to see all of these uh, lackluster films, you know, which will, they will be able to compete because that that's the equivalent to me of when you go to like uh, a shopping mall and you go to the food court and you have your choice uh, of, hey, do I want to get Chick-fil-A or do I want to get, um, you know, the Japanese joint? Um, you know, you, you can choose. And I think on that weekend, people will choose what they want out of the mcdonald's cinema that they're being (laughs) that they're being given um so yeah yeah
1: right yeah and and i mean you know christmas is a time when a lot of people are home and often trying to escape the family so you know what fine i'll go see aquaman it's uh (laughs) you know at mcdonald's it is my double quarter pounder right
0: right right exactly i think we're at your um number two least anticipated right
1: Yes, normally uh, I'll try to move quickly because I know we're probably way over time. Uh, it's it's Christmas. It's a year, so that means it's time for another Tyler Perry joint uh, uh. <laughs> this year. <laughs> it's nobody's fool. Now uh, we talked offline a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago about Tiffany Haddish. Now Tiffany Haddish is I feel like in kind of a a step in like early Melissa McCarthy uh, fame where. She is incredibly charismatic, funny, and willing to do anything. So for a laugh, that means
0: right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> she will go there. She'll so, take it there.
1: She will, and so she's getting put in a lot of movies that are, you know, going to generate some some money. But she's more or less doing the same thing. I I got to admit, I I initially was more hesitant about this movie before watching the preview. Uh, I'll read the blurb real quick. A woman uh, is released from prison and reunites with her sister. She soon discovers that her sister is in an online relationship with a man who may not be what he seems. This is, again, just from the previews, it mostly seems like the catfishing element of the story is going to play a very small second fiddle to Tiffany Haddish in scenes, just kind of doing what she does. Right. This movie also uh, stars Whoopi Goldberg in a wig. Uh, playing, <laughs> playing down her usual Whoopi Goldbergness, which actually kind of brought some laughs for me. So, I, I think that Tiffany Haddish is going to be doing a lot of movies like this. I don't necessarily want to use the comparison of Melissa McCarthy, but it's like for every six or seven films, there's one that's like, hey, this is actually really good. And I think this is the second movie that's coming out this fall that stars Tiffany. Um, and I, you know, I don't have a, a high regard for Tyler Perry. I'm, this might be something, if it popped up on TV, I would watch, but definitely not in theaters. And I, I hope to see her find the right vehicle. I I don't know. If, I, I don't actually like go back that far. I remember her from uh, Keanu. That was the first time I saw her. Did she go back further than that?
0: Uh, what was her kind of entrance? Yeah. So um, the Carmichael show, if you watch that, I think that was an NBC show, um with Michael Carmichael, she was on that. And honestly, uh, it's interesting because she played uh, against, or, you know, kind of her scene partner, but I think it was her boyfriend and it is uh, Rel, which, uh, or Lil Rel, yeah. uh, which, you know, he now has his own show. Uh, I think he, his vehicle was Get Out, um, in which Lil Rel was, um, you know, the friend that was like, Kind of t- saying what everything was or what was really going on um, right. during the whole film. So, so yeah, I, and I, I'm pretty sure like she goes even further than that. Real husbands of Hollywood and uh, all this other stuff.
1: Oh I mean, yeah, right. I forgot about that. Okay.
0: If you if you really dig into it, uh, you know she goes all the way back to 2005. I think we just didn't. It was like you know one-offs, like she's the bride, Teddy, you know, Felana, you know, just like randomness. But um, obviously, Girls Trip is kind of like the thing that put her on the map. I'm glad you brought this up because. Uh, so, I went to see Night School last week. And obviously, like you said, we're probably way past time. We're probably into <laughs> podcasts now. <laughs> so, this probably won't be on the radio. But um, so I went to see Night School st- starring Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish. And I gave that <laughs> film a D. I, I, I did not like it. I, I thought that, you know, it was too loose of a premise uh, and a script. It was one of those things where, like, you could see the pitch meeting. Hey, what if we team up, Kevin Hart? And Tiffany Haddish, go. And they were like, all right, well, Kevin Hart goes back to night school. And long story short, it just, um Tiffany doesn't get enough time in it. And Kevin Hart, yeah. I think he works so hard that he works too much. Like, he needs to take a yeah. break, Um, you know. And honestly, what would be nice is if he was able to do a dramatic role where he could, um, you know, Uh, ascend into a new stratosphere in terms of his career but otherwise Mm -hmm. with Night School we're getting the same old same old and so I get exactly what you say uh, in regard to uh, Nobody's Fool. In fact Nobody's Fool played as one of the trailers right before Night School. Now this is the thing as I watched it I was like you know what I'm kind of actually interested in this and then it's a directed, you know, written directed by Tyler Perry and I was actually kind of shocked. But then I thought about it. And Robert, I said, you know, this actually might be a good film. Now let me tell you why. Tyler Perry always writes this Medea character, right? right? Uh but and and not that she is, but in so many ways the frankness, directness, craziness uh, right. Willing to go there, that Tiffany Haddish brings to you know the screen, is kind of like the actual female equivalent of Medea. You know, with Medea, you're always thinking, okay, that's just Tyler Perry, you know, made up. But like Tiffany will will be crazy, and I think she does it in such a way that's authentic. That's why we all like her. Um, mm-hmm. She just feels like a real person. So for nobody's fool, I'm really interested in seeing it. Mainly for Tiffany Haddish. I mean, you know, Tika Sumpter. You know, she's cool, but I think she's more of like the face that's in the film. Omari Hardwick again, the face that's in the film. Although Omari Har- Hardwick, uh, if you haven't seen him as Ghost in Star's Power, I suggest you change I that. Have not. Really, oh man, Power okay. Power no. is an amazing. Amazing show on stars. Uh 50 Cent, you know, um kinda Helms co produces it. Um but you definitely want to check that out and that's some really strong work. So so you know, she's kind of surrounded by some, some good actors. Um interesting to see it'll be interesting to see how uh <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg uh and her riff off of each other. But yeah, I'm actually interested in seeing this. Um maybe I would go see it uh November second in theaters for like a date with my wife or something like that. Otherwise, I would sure. definitely check it out when it comes on streaming.
1: You know, that you, the point that you made is exactly what I thought. I was like, well, there's no Magia character in this. Who is the straight... And it was like immediately clear that, like, oh, that's the vehicle for Tyler Perry's straight-talking, zany wisdom. <laughs> right. It's always kind of funny because it's, I think it's meant to appeal to an older generation, but at the same time, it's so farcical. I mean, it's a, you know a grown man you know, like a fairly tall grown man, you know, dressed up as a woman trying to straight talk like that is, you know, it's not played straight. So in some ways, like there's an acknowledgement, I think subtly that, well, that's not always, you know, what's necessary. It's not always about, you know, what the older generation thinks and that they're right. Even though a lot of that basic wisdom can be imparted through that character. But uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And in a way, like I try to pick movies that are at least toward the three to one spot, like, Interesting enough, not just forgettable enough. Right. And, and Kevin, if you were here, you and I, would, I would definitely go with you.
0: <laughs> Man, well, we will have to do that at some point, uh, Robert. I would, I would love to do that because you're right. Every every fall, we talk about the the latest Tyler Perry film, and it seems like he's 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 on a roll. At least once a year, he's either got Boo and Medea Halloween or you know nobody's fool. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to do that. It's a date, Robert. Uh, all right, man. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is the podcast, so you, you know what you're here for. You're here for uh, our number one most and least anticipated films of the fall for 2018. Uh, I say let's start with our least anticipated, uh, and then we'll go into our most anticipated. So, Robert, I'm going to let you start that off. What is your number one least anticipated film?
1: A film whose title bears my sentiment about this film? I nominate The Grinch, my number one <laughs> least anticipated movie of the fall. Now, as I said before, um, whether or not this gets cut for the main broadcast, I try to put movies that I at least feel something about, whether I dislike it or like it, in the number you know, three to one spot. The Grinch, for me, immediately calls to mind the two main previous incarnations of the film. Number one, the atrocious Ron Howard, Jim Carrey version. That, In some ways, if anything can wipe that off the map, please do. I hated that movie. I hated the mugging. I hated Jim Carrey just being allowed to do whatever he wanted in the goofiest, unfunniest film I think I've ever seen.
0: Oh, wow. Wow.
1: I, I really hated that movie. And I, I have, you know, like I grew up in the Ace Ventura era of, of Jim Carrey. I You know, I definitely watched a lot of In Living Color. I liked Jim Carrey to an extent that was too way too much for me. This movie uh, is an animated version of The Grinch. You know, the story hatches the scheme with his trusted canine Max to ruin Christmas when the residents of Whoville plan to make their annual holiday three times bigger than that year. Uh, Meanwhile, Cindy Lou Who plans to seek out Santa Claus to thank him for helping her widowed mother every Christmas. But little does she know, she is trying to blow the Grinch's cover. Uh, This stars Rashida Jones, Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Cumberbatch Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the titular role of the Grinch, as well as Angela Lansbury, Kenan Thompson, and others. This movie doesn't look entirely awful. Uh, The main problem here, as I stressed before, Benedict Cumberbatch. There, is, there are few actors so skilled and so um, unsuited for the role of the Grinch as Benedict Cumberbatch. To see, you know, what is supposed to be this kind of monstrous, you know, maybe not oafish, but kind of grotesque little green creature speak with, <laughs> you know, like Groots. the skill and diction of a Shakespearean actor just does not fly. I need, you know, a Vincent Price, a Bella Lugosi. I need someone with a little bit of sliminess and griminess. There's just nothing about it. Jim Carrey just took it over the top with slapstick. But the Mm -hmm. Grinch is supposed to be a mean character who comes around, not, you know, kind of a dignified character who, uh, you know, I I, I, I just don't like that casting at all. I think it's going to be an okay movie. I think it's going to be better than the Ron Howard version. Um, It's got a fine voice cast. The visual style looks okay, somewhat minimal, and there's some really neat kind of uh, sight gags that I saw in the preview, but I I really, really, really rubs me the wrong way that Benedict Cumberbatch plays the Grinch. Um, Not because he's not a fine actor, but because you need someone that can capture a kind of monstrosity, a kind of devilishness, and I don't think that he does that at least behind an animated Grinch.
0: Oh man, interesting, man! I I love some of the just vocabulary that you used. Uh, just describing this, um, you know. So this is the thing. One day, and I've said this, I'm I'm planning on writing a book. In fact, I'm actually planning on uh, dropping two books by the end of 2018, which I'm currently working on. However, one of the books that I want to write in the future is how. Having children affected my movie watching. And so for films like The Grinch, um, and you know there's countless of other films that like are you know children animated films that like I probably would have never seen. Or, and there's even some films that like I've, I saw before, like Annie. But then when I watch it with my kids, it takes on this whole nother meaning because the way that they watch it and the way that they uh, see it and get into it and sing along with it or whatever the case may be, opens my my eyes to seeing it from a a child's lens. So for something like The Grinch, um, I can't call it, man. I I haven't really watched any of the trailers, so I, I have no prior knowledge. Um, but I know that, <laughs> I know that when you say the Grinch is coming out, I'm like, okay, well, this is probably a f- movie we can all go to see. Um, so
1: exactly what I thought was like, I'm going to say this and Kevin's going to be like, well, this is probably something that I'm going to take the kids to see because it, you know, it's a Christmas movie. It's something we as a family can do that taps into film, but it's also kind of fun. Exactly. You know, it will, I'm sure it will be that.
0: And, and that's probably why, and honestly, like with children's films, you know, they usually make their money back because, you know, you got, you got, you think about it, if you have a family, even if it's just a family of three, that's three tickets that get sold, you know, it's family Yo. of four, that's four tickets, popcorn and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I can't judge it. I, and I've learned not to necessarily make judgments because now there, there have been some that I had to go and watch, um, And it it was just absolutely horrible. But then there were some that I was like, I'm not really looking forward to this. And I go watch it and I'm like, oh, that was actually pretty doggone good. Um, So, yeah, we will see. I can totally understand why that's number one on your list. I do think that that will be interesting. We'll see if it bodes well for Mr. Cumberbatch or not. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go into my number one least anticipated film, which is a humorous take on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's classic mysteries featuring <laughs> Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. It's Holmes yep. and Watson. Now, this stars Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and Rafe Fiends. Is that that's how you say it? We I learned I that. I think
1: it's Rafe Fiennes. Well, just keep going. I
0: think it's Fiennes. I think it is. Uh, <laughs> he's coming up a lot in this, and he's not even – yeah, interesting. Um, I – I think that it's directed by Ethan Cohen. I, I I'm surprised it's not Ethan but that's what it says. So, um who did he directed Get Hard with Will Ferrell and he did some other mm-hmm. stuff with Will Ferrell. Surprisingly, he did the screen pay, play for um oh man what's the movie Tropic Thunder um which I actually liked Tropic Thunder. You don't know that the one with Robert Downey Jr. when he did blackface. I, and I
1: love that. that. And I kind of an underrated movie in, in a few in a few ways. I love that. I love Tropic Thunder.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think that this is a certain style of comedy that you just have to like. And I do not like this style of comedy. Um, again, seeing Night School last weekend, uh, this is one of the trailers that played. And it I don't. I don't want to call it slapstick humor because I don't think that's what it is, but it, it, it's what I call charity chuckles. Like mm-hmm. it begs you to laugh at this, and it's just not. Yeah. It's just not funny. And that's again my personal opinion. Obviously, there are people that love Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Um, there's just very few films that I really, really, like, love from them. Um, again, Tropic Thunder was uh, – is it's incredible. It's hilarious. You know, I could go put that on right now, and I would have a good laugh. Never go full retard. Like, <laughs> there's so many different, you know, uh, <laughs> little one-liners. Uh, and, and even Tom Cruise at the end, um, dancing. I mean, it was just one of those outlandish joints where the outlandishness worked for the film. I think the outlandishness of a film like uh, Holmes and Watson is just, it's not the type of thing that I want to see. So again, December 21st, folks, this is the date that you want to avoid. That is the date when the food court, you know, at the mall (laughs) cinema will be out plethora for you 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 make your choice you make your decision um i think as as we've gone through this list in terms of on the 21st i think i will be one of those ones that you know okay all right come on aquaman let's go
1: (laughs) so because they're big they're big movies they're movies that what you know that want to be seen the studio is pushing you to see them uh so yeah obviously i think they're going to draw more attention positively or negatively you know
0: Most definitely. Well, Robert, man, thank you so much for doing this, man. You are helping me to scratch this itch that I've had for so long just to talk about movies, what's out, uh, what's coming out. And so I I thank you as we hit our number one most anticipated films of uh, the fall. And I have a feeling that we're probably going to say the same thing.
1: I think we are, Kevin. I think we are. All
0: right, so on the count of three, we'll say it together. One, two, three. Creed Two.
1: Mary Poppins Returns. (laughs) Let's go fly a kite up to the highest height. Oh, let's go fly a kite. Kevin. Kevin. Oh, man. Mary Poppins Returns. Returns. The P.L. Travers classic. (laughs) Julie Andrews is not there anymore, but Emily Blunt in her stead. This is the most fantastic. I didn't hear what you said. I'm sure that it was Mary Poppins' return, directed by Rob Marshall. Number one, you know, I am not without a sense of awe and wonderment, uh, even as I prefer the kind of horrific and dark in our society. Mary Poppins strikes uh, a deep and sweet chord in my life. I am thrilled to see a return of the classic character to screen. I'll be singing along. Emily is going to uh, be near divorce by the end of December because I will not stop singing Disney songs. You may not know this about me, Kevin, but I love a good Disney track. It's set in 1930s London, which is the time period of the original novels of P.L. Travers, the story follows Michael, uh, grown-up Michael, played <laughs> by Ben Mishaw, and Jane Banks, Emily Mortimer. I'm, I'm going to keep going.
2: <laughs>
1: i'm sorry
0: i'm up. sorry i'm sorry wait really quickly I, I i'm i apologize um we definitely did not say the same film and at first i thought you were kidding but as it's going on i realize that you're serious and that is why i'm laughing because i apologize <laughs> i thought you were joking and i realize it's not a joke and now i feel kind of bad so uh keep going i'm sorry no
1: i i mean i i I was pretty sure you weren't going to see Mary Poppins Returns, but I was going to steamroll you with love and Disney charm. That's, that's just how I feel about this movie. And no joke, I genuinely, genuinely love, first of all, Julie Andrews is phenomenal. So anything that she touches turns to gold, and even that trickles down, you know, half a century later to Mary Poppins Returns. I'm, I cannot be more excited about a film. This is the film I will be in this Christmas. This also stars Lynn Manuel Miranda, uh, in the, uh, in the previously the Burt role. Uh, this year he is Jack. So the point is that the two children from the original film are grown up and the, the sort of brother has lost, you know, this is typical of D, of, uh, Disney movies, has lost his wife and they need to recapture some of that magic for their kids. Uh, this Will star uh, Dick Van Dyke, in, I think, the role of the banker, uh, not Mr. Banks, the banker from the original, which he played in old age makeup that he is now old age enough that he can play. Um, after Michael's personal loss, Mary Poppins, played by Emily Blunt, comes back into the lives of the Banks family. She is joined by a street, street lamp lighter named Jack, played by Lin-Manuel, Man- Lin-Manuel Miranda, and an eccentric cousin named Topsy, played by Meryl Streep. Um, I think i've sold it enough i 'll be there i 'll be floating on a cloud i 'll be singing through January. Mary Poppins returns my number one most anticipated. I say this with the utmost sincerity and the utmost theatricality
0: my 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 uh, Robert, <laughs> I just learned something totally new about you i'd never i didn 't know that you were really into these Disney uh, sing-alongs like this, which is really awesome. And you know what? I salute you, sir, for, you know, this is what it's all about. Listen, I could laugh all day, but as long as you stand on your two feet on the top of the hill and you say, Mary Poppins returns spring forward, What? man, I salute you. That's that's what it's all about. This this was honestly, like I knew it was coming out, but it wasn't on my radar. Not a huge fan of musicals. I've never been. Um, And, you know, I wasn't really a huge fan of Mary Poppins and a lot of these old, you know, sing-alongs that, you know, uh, maybe The Sound of Music was really cool back in the day, but uh, so, so man, I salute you on that, brother. Uh, I, I halfway again. This is one of those ones where just because you're so excited about it, I would not mind going to see it with you just to watch your reaction, just to see if you do goofy things like sing along with it or go,
2: oh, oh my gosh, like
0: <laughs> that would be everything. Um, but, but. You know, the cast, the cast, definitely solid. Emily Blunt, Meryl Shreep, Colin Firth, Lin-Manuel, Miranda. I mean, you know, it looks like it's in good hands. So, uh, man, salute to you, Robert Winship.
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm abso- I, I truly am thrilled. Waited a long time. You know, Kevin, to be honest with you, I don't cry very often. And the only movie that I've cried at in, like, the last probably six years was Saving Mr. Banks. The movie about P.L. Travers, starring Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson, uh, about wow. the making of Mary Poppins, and it was unreasonably sappy wow. to a point that was so contrived. But I gotta say, I'm I'm a reserved man, but for Mary Poppins, I got a soft you'll,
0: heart. You'll shed a shed a few. I got you, I'll man. Shed a few. I cry a lot, so you know it, do, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know this. Just this year, when I saw Black Panther, I cried through the first act the entire first act that's thirty minutes uh because it's it just a heavy
2: first act <laughs> it, it
0: was and I mean it outside of I mean you know it was more of the context of what it meant as an African American male and all this kind of stuff uh but yeah so so you know crying during the movie is is, is quite all right in fact um I, I, one thing though Robert I cannot wait to go back and when you actually hear. When I was like one, two, three, and then like I said, Creed two, and then you were like Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh man, I think that's gonna be like an intro or some kind of blooper like for years to come. So that was awesome. Um, but yeah, speaking of of tearing up and crying, like Creed two for me. me Creed two, uh, November twenty first. Uh, this is coming out, you know, right in time for Thanksgiving. I cannot wait for this film. Listen, uh, I've already said it before. Last week's question of the week on Picture Lock was, you know, who do you think will win the battle of Ivan Drago or Victor Drago versus Adonis Creed? Um, I mean, I don't really have to say much about this because you already know what it is. Uh mm-hmm. It, basically, it, it's, you know, a sequel to Creed 1, which was uh, written, directed by Ryan Coogler, starred Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone. And now we have, you know, the sequel. And this has been, what, thirty, thirty three 33 years in the making in which, you know, in Rocky four, Apollo Creed took on Ivan Drago, lost his life in the ring, in Rocky's hands, and now we have uh, the inevitable match of a lifetime in which there's there's so much redemption in the fact that, you know, for the name, the Creed name, that Adonis can come and, you know, we're hoping he can have a victory over, you know, uh, Drago's son. Um, But the thing that I really like about this film is that if you watch the trailer, now we already know that Adonis Creed, played by Michael B. Jordan, he just has this ego, and it's a lot like his father. Uh, we saw it in, you know, Creed One. Um, but within this film, by the end of the trailer, there's this this moment where he he's crying, and it just looks like genuinely like he's he's broken. Um, and I feel like his character. Uh, will be broken and I talked a little bit about this uh, last week in terms of setting up the picture lot question of the week and how I think that Something is going to happen now Robert it would it would astound me if uh, <laughs> If Victor Drago kills Adonis Creed in the ring like that would be yeah. cutting off the franchise um, but honestly, it would be amazing an amazing move for American movies. We don't usually see that. So you can probably take the bet that, you know, Adonis is going to either win or at least it's like a uh, stalemate, you know, it's a tie. Um, so that they can have uh, Creed three. However, just the anticipation of seeing this play out, uh, some of the lines that, you know, Sylvester Stone said, uh, when he talked about Drago, he said, you know, he broke stuff in me that ain't been fixed since. Um, y- that, there's so much weight going into this film that I, I just, it's my number one. And I don't see how, you know, there's there's nothing else that's coming out this fall that I want to see more. There are definitely some things that I want to see. I talked about Halloween and how that nostalgia <clears throat> It, it means a lot, but this is one that, like, I haven't said, God, please don't let me die before this movie comes out in a long time. And I'm saying that on Creed 2. Like, God, please just let me let me live to see, to see <laughs> Creed 2. <laughs> oh, man, and I know that's, like, such a horrible little thing to say. But, uh, but yeah, man, I'm so excited. Uh, I think what, you know, Ryan Coogler did in terms of um, creating this, This new franchise and this uh, the next generation of the Rocky Balboa franchise. The fact that um, in Creed One, honestly, like Sylvester Stallone gave just an amazing performance. Uh, Same with Michael B. Jordan. Tessa Thompson's in there. Hey Tessa, Um, your girl. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know it's (laughs) it's just uh, it's just amazing to me. So Creed Two is definitely. Um, my number one film. I can't wait to see it.
1: All right. Uh, yeah, I, I got a uh, Michael B. Jordan is you know for all the people we talked about like kind of uh, on the decline or people that they're trying to make stars. Michael B. Jordan is just like he is it. He is you know like handsome. He is cut. He is charismatic. He can act. He is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I mean, even ever since The Wire, man. Uh, so it's always exciting to see him in anything. He stole the show. In in Black Panther, man.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, so yeah, I, yeah.
1: And 100%. Uh, I'm not going to say I agree, because I've made it clear where my position is on the most anticipated movie. <laughs> right. But I'm not going to deny the uh, a desire to see Creed. I
0: have a, I, I, I have a feeling I probably sold you more than you sold me on Mary Poppins. However, uh, man, this is why it's always <laughs> great to have you on. The last thing I will say that is this about Creed Two, And I said this on last week's show, but... Um, the, the movie poster, to me, is incredible. Let me tell you why. You don't realize, you don't know if he's screaming in anguish, scream, screaming in celebration. Uh, it, it's so ambiguous that it leaves it up to your imagination, which is what I think makes an amazing movie poster. When you, uh, the viewer, have to put two and two together for yourself, and like I said, with all the weight of the prior films coming into this movie, when you look at that poster, man, there's no way it, it, it can't get you jazzed. So I'm really excited about it, man.
1: Do we know for sure whether we're getting like the full Rocky Four training sequence or no? We,
0: I, don't, I don't know. I don't know, but man, I I tell you, I'm gonna find out and I will let you know. We can can only hope. (laughs) Exactly. That's
1: like a bit of fan service that would be fully fully received.
0: Man, if his if if Tessa Thompson is at the top of the stairs and tells her you can't win (laughs) Uh, And then the hand comes out and grabs the door of the sports car. (laughs) Uh man, don't don't get me started, Robert. Me and my brother, you know, you talk about brothers, and uh, um, me and my brother, we used to watch this all the time. So, yeah, I, I, you know, he had mentioned on uh, Facebook, he said, uh, you know, we should go see that together, but you probably are going to see it already. I'm, since I'm not in D.C., um, I won't uh, unless I go up, which I, I, I would strongly consider going up just to see Creed II uh, early. However, I think I'm going to make this something that me and my brother do together. It should be a fun, good time, and it's right in time for Thanksgiving.
1: That's a way to reconnect, man. That's important.
0: Exactly. So let's get off of this, because I'll just keep talking Creed (laughs) 2. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is it for our Fallback Spring Forward 2018 Fall edition in terms of our most and least anticipated movies. What did you think? Do you agree with our list? Disagree? Uh, you know, let me know on Picture Lock. Uh, you can either hit us up on the website or uh, send an email to picturelockshow at gmail.com or on all social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Uh, again, once again, I just want to thank my co-host for today. Uh, I had to beg and plead and, uh, you know, put shout-out on the last episode. Robert Winship... <laughs> Uh, it has been such a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for g- taking up the time, uh, just to uh, do this with me, man. It was awesome.
1: Oh man, you're welcome. Anytime. This is a this is a blast. It always is. <laughs>
0: it definitely is. And if you could, for the folks that are listening, how can people find you on social media, etc.?
1: Oh, let's see. Uh, Instagram uh, at r a r e starship, and uh, I host a little radio show. <laughs> Uh, about death metal, hardcore and experimental music on WERA, you can visit that at death.city. Uh, but otherwise, Mary Poppins, go out, go see Mary Poppins.
0: Oh, man, I love it. All right. Thanks, Robert. All
1: right, thanks, guys.
0: And that's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guest, Robert Winship, for coming on the show. Man, <laughs> Robert it was great to have you back on, man. That was so much fun. We really enjoyed ourselves, folks, and wound up talking longer. So make sure you tune in to the podcast for the longer version. Shout out to you guys who are actually listening to the podcast. Thank you. Be sure to catch up on back episodes of the podcast and subscribe on iTunes. TuneIn, in, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast. So, you can catch those unlocked versions of the show and the after show that I told you guys about in the beginning of this show. If you're a fan of Alexa Skills, just say Alexa, play Picture Lock Podcast, and I'll come right up. Please leave a five star review on the show as well. Only helps to make sure more people are able to hear Picture Lock. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picturelockshow and subscribe so that you can see my movie reviews. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out a form on the website. This week's question of the week is, what's your least anticipated fall movie release? Drop me a voicemail at 202-350-1351, send an email at picturelockshow at gmail.com, or Hit me up on any of Picture Lock's social media pages, and I'll talk about it on the air next week. All music is done by Mike S. The Producer, 13. Hit him up for your production needs at Mike S. The Producer, numeral one, numeral three. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next
2: time, I hope you stay locked on film.